wondering if you guys remember, you know, days when you had to stay home sick from school, okay? Even maybe some of the kids that were just up here are thinking, what was that activity that you looked forward to doing if you had to stay, or maybe maybe my phrasing is wrong, got to uh, stay home from school? What was that thing that you really liked to be able to do for most of the day? Shout out, you know, what were some things that maybe you, you got to do if you got to stay home from school? I heard sleep. Did I hear eat ice cream? Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's recommended, depending on the nature of your ailment, but yeah. What else? Anybody else? I'm still, I'm still looking, trying to read my mind here, trying to look for the, a different answer. Watch TV. Thank you. Amen. All right. That's what I got to do. Maybe my family was, you know, more lenient like that than some of you years are just like, oh, no, we did educational things or something. Um, but, yeah, you know, watching, uh, there's one particular show that I remember watching that was actually very educational. Didn't teach me about grammar or science, but I learned the value of toasters and luggage and vacuum cleaners because when I got to stay home sick from school and lie around and watch TV all day, Rod Roddy and Bob Barker invited me to come on down and be the next contestant on The Price is Right, okay? Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, daytime TV, not the most exciting thing in the world, but The Price is Right provided an hour of entertainment for sick children for many decades, and I guess maybe, maybe it still does, yeah. But I have many fond memories. I'm, I'm a real sucker for game shows, and I just, I love this game show. You know, I love the, you know, the strategy with the $1 bids, you know, like if you, if you got to go last and you thought everybody else went over, you could sneak in there with the $1 bid and win and get it up on stage. Um, I remember the, the yodeling guy going up the mountain, and then if you went too far, come crashing down the cliff, you know, it seemed like most people lost on that game. Uh, I remember the, the unlucky bounces of the Plinko chip, you know, going down. It was kind of, you know, that was kind of weird. Um, the spinning of the wheel, you know. Uh, but I, what I remember most, though, is the showcase showdown, which took place at the very end of the show. You had, like, the two winners, and they would get to bid on these pretty awesome prize packages. And sometimes you'd be watching, and they would be unveiling a particularly impressive uh, showcase showdown, and you would just be thinking, man, this is just, this is awesome, you know? So, like, first of all, it would be like, here's, you know, a new living room set, and, or, or maybe the things that I got excited about were, like, if it was, like, a game room, like, like a foosball table and a pool table and a ping pong table, like, yeah, yeah. And then the announcer would keep going, and I'd be, I'd be like, can it, can it even get better than that, you know? The, the announcer would, would say, not in these words, but it was kind of like, but wait, there's more. And then they'd have these details about a trip to Paris or something. Like, I'm like, oh man, that sounds amazing. A week in Paris? How could it get better than that? But wait, there's more. Occasionally, then the announcer would keep talking, and there would be curtains, and they would draw the curtains, and the announcer would say, and a new car! And the crowd would go wild, you know, and the contestants would be jumping up and down and trying to figure out what to bid on it. What an exciting time. But wait, there's more. And in fact, that's how I feel about, I feel like this sometimes in life, this but wait, there's more thing. 
And I, I have felt this way as we've been going through the forgiving challenge. I'm like, with each day and with each passing week, it's like, man, this is getting better and better. Uh, this book's got to be over soon because how can he top, you know, the message from the last day? But then, but wait, there's more. Maybe that's how you felt before reading the Bible, reading God's Word. Maybe it's how you felt when you've heard the gospel message. You hear one piece of it, and then you hear another, and you're like, how can it get better? But it keeps getting better, and God keeps showing you more amazing promises, more amazing blessings that he has in store for you, and it just floors you. And so today, as we're going through, you know, we've gone through the, the weeks of sin and confession and absolution. Now we're on the week of restoration. And I, my prayer is that today, and then even in, in the, the week of readings that we're entering into, that you will be confronted with the but wait, there's more nature of the grace and the mercy and the love of God that is for you. All right, now we gotta, we gotta go through here um, a little definition of the word forgive before we really get rolling here. Um, so one of, the, one of the definitions is just kind of simply to cancel a debt. And th this book, you know, the book is telling us about this. You know, we, we learned about that uh, really last week with absolution. We learned how God cancels the debt of our sin. Pastor Josh had us, you know, literally like rip up the sin into many pieces and they went into God's trash can, which he takes as far away as the east is from the west and never never brings it up again, you know? That's our absolution. Our debt is canceled. But then the second definition, that, that's asking a little bit more of people, right? To stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, a flaw, or a mistake. This is the one I think, you know, normally when we talk about forgiveness, like in a church setting, we're maybe putting these ones together, Oh, but the second one's tougher, isn't it? The second one is tougher for us to actually act upon, okay? But we're going to talk about this. Now, we're going to go, I, I'm going to kind of unveil my own, uh, well, really it's God's showcase showdown here. And, uh, and you're just going to see. You might think like the first thing is really good, but, but wait, there's going to be more, okay? So just... You know, just wait for it. So the first one, the first message here today, the first, you know, tier of the showcase showdown is God forgives you. And yeah, last week we're like, that's amazing that God takes our sins away, does not count them against us anymore. Our debt is paid, we're free and clear. But it is one thing uh, to do this, and it's a whole other thing to actually restore the relationship. And, you know, when forgiveness occurs between human beings, I think sometimes we get stuck on that first definition of forgive, which is to cancel a debt. I might be able to say, you know what, and I was doing this on, on the board, right? I might be able to erase certain things, and, um, and you know, I'm, I'll forgive that one. But there are other things, other times, where maybe we will really hold things against each other. And the nature of our relationship will never be the same. You know, we may put up walls and boundaries. We may feel anger or resentment. We, we have those scars and those wounds. And you know what? Sometimes it's probably even wise and practical to not jump right back to the way the, the relationship used to be because, um, you know, maybe it's been such a significant hurt, you know, in this world that there's consequences and maybe our relationship is never going to be restored again because we're imperfect people, right? 
That might be the way that it plays out. But this is not the way that it plays out when it comes to God's forgiveness. God does not hold our sins against us. He does not remain angry or resentful, doesn't hold a grudge against us after he forgives. He restores the relationship. And so it's not just that God forgives you. Wait, there's more. God also loves you. God loves you. Now, I kind of hope that when you're hearing this message that God loves you, I kind of hope you guys are saying, well, duh. Of course he loves me. Like, I've heard this a thousand times. I, I hope that this is something that you know and believe and that your life is built upon. Um, I, I don't know if we always have much, a, a huge struggle with believing this, um, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's my, my struggle is that I take this for granted, or I just assume this, and I kind of, I'm like getting numb to hearing it, when really it should like blow me away every time that I hear, not only does God forgive me, but he actually loves me. He's not holding these things from my past against me even now. So God loves you. Now God could rightfully and understandably cancel our debt, but then still hang on to feelings of anger and resentment against us. He could, and I would be like, yeah, that's fair. I've done some things. And yeah, maybe God shouldn't let me get close again. You know, God could say, uh, I'm going to forgive you your sins, but stay away from me a healthy distance, you know? I'm going to tolerate you from now on, but we ain't never going back the way, to the way things were. He could say that but he doesn't. Thankfully, he does not do that. Thankfully, he does not do that to us, and he does not do that to Peter, as we've been seeing throughout our forgiving challenge. Now, I gotta say, from one pastor to another, you know, the Zach Zender is a pastor who wrote uh, the forgiving challenge, I am amazed and impressed at how much mileage he's getting out of this Jesus and Peter on the beach story. But also, I am here for it. Like, I'm like, Give me more. Tell me everything you've ever learned about this. You know, because you can tell he's read it a lot. He's looked at it from every different angle. And so he's, uh, you know, he's, he's showing us again, kind of like from every angle, from every perspective, you know, teaching us again and again that God forgives us and God loves us, just like he forgave Peter and loves Peter. And, and it's during this conversation on the beach that then the book invites us to wonder, well, what is Jesus' strategy here for kind of recreating uh, the scene of the crime, so to speak. You know, he's got Peter. Peter denies Jesus around the fire that night. And then now on the beach, there's a fire again. And he, Jesus, you know, Peter denies Jesus three times. And then Jesus asks him the question, you know, do you love me three times? You know, why is he doing that? And so we might wonder, because I know if it were me, I would probably be trying to shame or humiliate someone by doing that, make them feel worse. You know, is, God, is that what God's doing to Peter? Is he trying to make him feel worse about his sins? Is he trying to shame him in front of all of his buddies there on the beach? Is he trying to show him that, that even though he's canceled his debt, that he's still going to hang this above him for years to come? Uh, you know, Peter, I'm I'm still going to be angry about, about this for the next 10 years. You know, you're going to have to earn your way back into my good graces. Is, is, are these the, these the strategies that Jesus is employing here? 
No, it can't be, right? That, that we know Jesus, and we're like, oh, Jesus, that's not the way Jesus is. That's the way I would be, right? I see myself in that tactic. That's not the way Jesus is operating here. Because, uh, and, and, you know, and there's one major clue that shows why this is so. If Jesus wanted to do that, his conversation with Peter would be, would be pointing backwards. He'd be dwelling upon the sin of Peter. But his conversation points forward. Because what does he say? You know, he says, you know, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then he says, he's giving him, like, more to do. Feed my lambs. That's a forward-thinking thing in this conversation. So Jesus um, is not angry. We know, you know God, is, God is not an angry God. God is a loving God, and he's showing Peter here that he's not angry with him. He forgives him, and he loves him. He forgives him, and he loves him. We could, you might think, well, that's, that's about as good as it gets here today probably wrap up here right now but wait say it with me but wait there's more all right there is more you're right you guys are you guys are good uh so god also forgives you loves you and restores you this is the week of restoration he restores you to a life of meaning and purpose that forgiveness that absolution that god gives us it covers us for heaven covers us for eternity covers us for the next life but God also wants to do something even deeper than that. Because when we, are, um, when we are freed, we are freed from our sin, and we are freed for something else. We are freed to a new life full of meaning and purpose right here with God right now in this world. We don't have to wait until we die to experience this full freedom. We've got it now. We've got it now by the grace of God. And so remember, Peter was thinking about going back to that, you know, he, he was called to be a fisher of men, uh, but he was like, ah, I think I'm gonna slip back, I'm gonna go back into that fishing for fish job. That's what he was doing that morning before the breakfast conversation on the beach. But Jesus is saying, no, remember that, that purpose and meaning that I gave you, you're, you're fishing, you know, a fisherman is a, is a fine occupation, but now you're fishing for men again. You're fishing for people. You know, you're going to be feeding my lambs going forward. He is literally saving Peter's life. This, this life. He's already taken care of the next life. He's saving and redeeming and giving, returning meaning and purpose to this life, which is huge. And that's the amazing thing, is when, when Jesus restores Peter, it's not like, you know, he has to, you know, he pronounces the absolution. It's not like Peter has to wait for the full restoration then. Jesus is like, okay, here's the plan, Peter. For the next five years, if you do good, then I'll stop being mad at you. Then I'll love you. And then if you do good for like, you know, 10 years after that, then I'll actually give you some, now I'll trust you again, and I'll send you out to do some stuff in my kingdom. No, no, no. The absolution and the restoration happen at the same time. God declares it, and it's done. That's the power of God's word. That's what Jesus does for Peter. That's what he does for us, too. We are pardoned of our sins, and we are restored fully in an instant. That's what Jesus does. And it's kind of shocking when you think about it that God doesn't just forgive me, 
He doesn't just you know, love me, also, he also uh, restores me into a right relationship with him. But one more time, guys. Say it with me. But wait, there's more. There's more. All right. This is going to seem, this slide might seem a little bit strange to you. God doesn't need you. You're saying, ouch. Pastor, this is kind of hurting my self-esteem. God doesn't need you. God wants you. And this important distinction, and I hope that I can do it justice here. Uh, a lot of times in our lives, we might only have relationships with people who we have some kind of a need for. You know, that person's going to be useful to me. They have a skill or a quality that I desire, and, I'm, and I, that's going to benefit me. You know, it's not always, it doesn't always you know, sound as bad as that, I guess, but, but a lot of our relationships, if we're really honest, they're kind of built upon necessity or usefulness. Well, that's not the way it is with God and us. Um, Jesus did not need Peter to accomplish his purposes in this world. Jesus does not need you and me to accomplish his purposes here in this world. And I can, I can prove it to you from the story of Peter, okay? Now, there was that um, other miraculous catch of fish story, uh, Luke chapter 5, where Jesus is on the beach and he wants to give a message to all these people, but they're crowding him, and there's just a whole lot of people there. So Jesus asks if he can use Peter's boat. And they go, you know, he gets in the boat, they go a ways off in the water, and uh, there's all these biblical scholars who write all these books, and they like to argue with each other. That's a whole thing. Um, and some of these scholars, they say, well, Jesus needed that boat um, because he didn't have room, so he needed Peter and his boat and his help that day. And then he needed this, you know, phenomenon, this kind of like natural amplification, um, you know, of the, the sound waves going over the water. I, I don't know if any of this is true, but it sounds pretty good. Um, so, you know, G Jesus actually needed these things. Otherwise, he couldn't have done what he needed to do that day. Um, you know, it's like Jesus is the first one to use like a surround sound system or something. Um, he's a smart guy. But, but he didn't need Peter or his boat or any of those other things. How do I know? Let me tell you from the Bible. Ahem. Matthew 14, 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. That, that does not sound like a guy who needs a boat. Okay? What about the sound amplification of the water? Mark 1, verse 11. A voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Okay, this God can walk on water and speak from the heavens. Doesn't need a boat or Peter or anybody else. Doesn't need these things. Why am I saying this to you? Just like to knock you down a few pegs today? No, it's because I think, it's, I think it's, there's, a, there's a freedom and there's a power and there's beauty in knowing that God does not need us. It's not like he's looking for a source of cheap labor or something to do his work. No, God wants you. He does not need you. He wants you. He willingly enters into a relationship with you. And then when that relationship gets broken, he willingly restores it back to the way it should be. He wants you. He's not obligated, doesn't have to do this, but he goes out of his way. Goes out of his way to come down and die on the cross and rise again, and he says, you are mine. 
Jesus knew literally everything about Peter, and he still wanted him. He knows everything, it's kind of scary, about you and about me, and he still wants us, willingly wants to be in a relationship with us. You are a child of God because that's what God wants. God has forgiven you all of your sins. God loves you with an everlasting, incomparable love. God has restored that relationship. He has given you a meaning and a purpose found in him, not only in the next life, but in this life too. And last but not least, God wants you. Will you pray with me? Lord God, your gospel just blows us away. There's always just something more that you want to share with us. Lord, help us to, to know this and believe this, that, that you don't just stop with canceling our debt. You don't hang on to our sins. You don't hold a grudge. You wipe it away clean, and you restore that loving relationship. You give us a new identity, and you want us, Lord. Help us to cling to this truth. Help us to build our lives around this and help us as we go forward according to your purposes to shout this out, to proclaim this to the world, to share that you also want to be in a relationship with others as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.